Well, that was the opening music to Key Largo, released in 1948 by Warner Brothers, and starring a whole bunch of people, Humphrey Bogart, Edward G. Robinson, Lauren Bacall, Lionel Barrymore, Claire Trevor, and others. Uh, those are the big uh, headliners. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net or in iTunes, just search for Classic Movie Reviews, or in Facebook, search for ClassicMovieReviews.net. And I'm Matt Johnson, recording from sunny North Bend today. And I'm uh, Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles, welcoming everyone back to Classic Movie Reviews. And a, uh, an exciting Florida adventure film, Key Largo, after watching this again, I thought, boy, I don't want to be there during the hurricane season. i tell you, it's not safe. Um, a little bit of background on the movie. It was, it was originally a play uh, from 1939. It was uh, the same title. And the play was written by Maxwell Anderson, which, uh, who, who was a very uh, well-known uh, playwright. Uh, but the play was the movie's really different than the play though they totally rewrote the characters and they gave did. them different names and different setting and yeah they kept the title and that was about all yeah uh well some background the director John Houston what a career he had uh, we've done some of his movies on our podcast just to name a few uh, the Maltese Falcon 1941 Treasure of Sierra Madre 1948 one that we haven't done, which is excellent, The Asphalt Jungle from 1950 and The African Queen from 1951. That's kind of a who's who of, of film. And I don't know if you remember the movie Chinatown with Jack Nicholson and uh, Faye Dunaway, but John Huston played the evil, uh, wealthy uh, father of Faye, Dun uh, Faye Dunaway. He did an excellent job playing a really bad guy. Yeah, because he was an actor later <coughs> in life, too, right? Uh, yes, he, he was an actor and uh, director and producer. And I read where he, he did 37 feature films, and he wrote the screenplay for most of the films. So he probably took wow. Key Largo and, and uh, rewrote it. It's a, it's a, it's a good movie. Uh, it sometimes feels a little bit like a stage play to me as I watched it. <clears throat> well, it totally did. And when <laughs> I was watching it, I uh, actually watched it with Haley. Um, but I said to her, this feels this feels like it would be a really good stage play. And then I looked on IMDb and I was like, oh, because it was a stage play. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the DVD had some background information about it. And it said that uh, John Huston got the original script for this movie and just was like, this is not filmable, this is not interesting, and just completely rewrote it. Um, so, yeah, he was really involved in, in this movie and all of his movies that he did. No kidding, uh, and he did a lot of them. Some of the, uh, <coughs> some of the main uh, actors in this, Claire Trevor, uh, wasn't that a, uh, an amazing scene where... Uh, Rocco, Edward G. Robinson, forced her to sing. No, I gave her a first chance, took her out of the chorus, made her a singer. Mention that while you're at it. Why ain't you a singing star instead of a lush? Gee, Johnny, I didn't mean anything. Yeah, she could have had a future. That's right, she had everything. Voice, looks, plenty of class. I was a rage. Gee, honey. Now look, uh, okay. Why don't you give us your old song, hmm? You mean right now? Yeah. I can't. Ah, sure you can. Please, Johnny, don't make me. I won't make you do anything. Tell you what, I got a proposition for you. Now, you sing us your song, you can have a drink. Can I have the drink first? No, the song. Then the drink. Without any accompaniment? Now look, uh, do you want a drink or don't you? 
were gorgeous. Always low-cut, very décolleté. I wore hardly any makeup. Just some lipsticks, that's all. No lights. Just a baby spot. I wouldn't have any entrance. They'd, they'd play the intro in the dark and, and a spot would come on. And there I'd be. Go ahead, sing. Moaning low, my sweet man, I love him so. Though he's mean as can be. He's the kind of man, he's the kind of woman like me. Gonna die if sweet man should pass me by. If I die, where will he be? He's the kind of man needs the kind of woman like me. Don't know any reason why he treats me so poorly. What have I gone and done? Makes my trouble double with his worries when surely I ain't deserving of none. Moaning low, my sweet man is gonna go when he goes all lordy. He's the kind of man needs the kind of woman like me. Give me that drink now, Johnny. No. Johnny. No. But you promised. So what? You said that. But you were right. So oh she could gosh. have a drink? I thought. Uh, how how bullying and demeaning could that be? Well, just how abusive yeah. was he t- to her? And, and then that was so painful to watch. And apparently uh, it was painful on the set as well because uh, John Houston didn't give her really any notice that they were going to do that scene at that time and just said, okay, now you're going to sing this song. And she had no chance to practice. And she also wasn't a trained singer, so she she wasn't, you know comfortable singing in front of all these A-list actors and when she finished John Houston was like yep that's exactly the effect that I was going for so I think wow. her uncomfortableness comes across really well and, and it really was like that on the set well, I, it's, it's like it, it, it does look like it's genuine it totally does she, um, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for that role in Key Largo. She she was one of the best parts of the movie for sure. She really did a great job. She she played a lot of different characters. Um, Another scene that I liked with her was near the end when uh, spoiler alert here uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rocco is, is forcing Frank McLeod played by Humphrey Bogart to take them out on the boat to go sail to Cuba to escape the police and Claire Trevor starts sobbing and crying and running up to Johnny Rocco where are my things? Oh, I've got to tell you you're not coming yeah unless you can stay drunk for a month Johnny please take me with you no, you got to Johnny you got to oh, uh, please on, I'll no, stop you. drinking I'll do anything only take me with you please Johnny I love Let you I go. need you hey, I'll kill myself I will Johnny please Please, listen, I'll be good luck to you like I was before. I won't let you go without me. You've got to take me with you. You've got to. You've got to. Come on, Sergeant. All right. Come on, Sergeant. 
but she was just faking it because really what she wanted to do was grab his gun and give it to Frank McCloud and I, I thought that was an awesome scene for her. It was. As well. I had forgotten when I watched it again. I had forgotten that that's what she was doing, and I thought, "Wow, why is she doing that?" And then, ah, she got the gun. Just a background uh, story on Dan Seymour, who's one of the actors. He plays Angel Garcia in the opening scenes. He's tending bar. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk about him too. Well, yeah. uh, one of his sons is uh, a member of the Volunteer Guild out at the Motion Picture and Television Fund. And he brought to to one of our meetings many photographs from uh, the making of this film. Oh, kind awesome. Kind of off, you know, off the map photos of his dad and other people. And uh, I guess uh, one of the things that John Huston did to make people relaxed is do unexpected things in the making of movies. Either went off script or wanted more improvisation. But it was it was interesting and, and enjoyable to watch or to look at all these photos that he brought of his dad. And his dad was always acting in these kind of below-the-line uh, character actor roles. But he never mm-hmm. gave up his furniture business. He had a furniture antique refinishing business. I'm not quite oh, wow. sure of the the story of that but uh, he always kept that because he wasn't sure how long he'd be doing the acting it was a really interesting well when i when i saw him on screen i thought boy he really reminds me of somebody else that we've watched on a movie so i looked it up and he really reminds me of um i'll get to it here victor bruno you know oh yeah he does he does, and then I thought, and then I thought, well, that's weird because when you go to the IMDb page for for Dan Seymour, you see that he was in the Batman TV series. Oh wow! And okay. When you go to the IMDb page for Victor Buno, he was also in the Batman TV series, and they're wearing very similar costumes. So it was a really weird <laughs> con- uh, crossover. <laughs> they were both in the Batman TV series. Oh man! Wasn't Victor our our uh, piano teacher? Uh, from yeah, from whatever, whatever happened to <laughs> to Baby Jane, yeah. Well, I guess uh, Mr. Seymour, at one point in his career, had to lose a, a lot of weight. I was reading about his background. and He was a big man after he lost the weight, but he lost 100 pounds. And he Jeez. was still at about 240 or 250. But he was in a lot of these Warner Brothers films back in the 40s. Yeah, he has one of those uh, faces that you, you recognize and you say, I know I've seen him before, but what's his name again? <laughs> Wasn't the original play, didn't it have the uh, the, the bad guys? They were uh, they were of Hispanic background? Yeah, it was set in uh, Spain, I yeah. believe. Or, yeah, and it was, they were, it was after the Spanish, oh gosh. Oh, the Civil War. Civil War, the right. Spanish Civil War, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's Claire Trevor and Dan Seymour. Now another interesting, a lot of these people had such great careers. Edward G. Robinson. Uh, Man, i got to tell you that there was, a few, there was a as Rocco, there was a few times when he was acting that I thought he would make an awesome Joker in a Batman movie. <laughs> I don't know what my, I don't know what my obsession with Batman is right now, but... Uh, he, yeah, he was amazing. We may have to go off our, our uh, mission and do the Batman series. <laughs> you remember those? So anyway, uh, that opening scene where they show Rocco in the bathtub with that fan yeah. going, I'm like, that's really creepy. That the way that it he, was. it's like, whoa, and then he stands up. What a way to introduce the character. Oh, you knew right away, this guy is trouble. Well... It turns out Mr. Robinson, whose real name is Emmanuel Gold, Goldenberg, uh, so many people changed their names in those days, he spoke seven different languages. And during World wow. War II, uh, he was enlisted into the uh, military service, and he, he gave out uh, propaganda broadcasts to the occupied areas of Europe with one of his he seven, well one of his languages was English but the he, with the other six languages he did a lot of broadcast work during the war and was really involved in that and then uh, the other thing is 
He was a really world-famous art collector. Huh. Had a one and did some painting, but he loved art. And here he is playing this. And I guess in real life, he was totally different from this kind of person. He was soft-spoken well, guess, and gentle. And yeah. It was say, uh, IMDb was saying that he and Humphrey Bogart got along uh, pretty well outside <coughs> of filming as well. And, and uh, Humphrey Bogart would walk to the trailer and wait for Edward G. Robertson to be ready, and then they'd walk to set together. And, and, he, and Humphrey Bogart wouldn't start acting until Edward G. Robinson was ready, so he was very, like, uh, nice and deferential to him. And yet, uh, Mr. Robinson plays so many criminals back in the 30s and 40s. The Warner Brother crime movies, he was in most of those. James Cagney and him and George Raft and others. My goodness. Yeah. Well, you know, you make a career out of it. Yeah. So. <laughs> and remember him, he was the uh, insurance adjuster inspector in Double Indemnity that uncovered oh, the yeah. Fred yep. McMurray murder plot? Well, and his character, Johnny Rocco, was based on a couple real-life gangsters, um, Lucky Luciano and Al Capone. Oh, so like the back, so like the backstory where uh, Frank McCloud is kind of going through all of the things that Lucky or that Johnny Rocco had done was kind of an amalgam of of those two. Rocco, I must apologize for Mister Temple. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, who too, sir? Johnny Rocco was more than a king. He was an emperor. His rule extended over beer, slot machines, the numbers racket, and a dozen other forbidden enterprises. He was a master of the fix. Whom he couldn't corrupt, he terrified. Whom he couldn't terrify, he murdered. You filth. You city filth. Oh, Mr. Temple, you're hopelessly old-fashioned. Your ideas date back years. You're still living in the time when America thought it could get along without the Johnny Roccos. Welcome back, Rocco. It was all a mistake. America's sorry for what it did to you. On the level, boss. Were you that big? On the level? Are you that dumb? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Sure, I was all of those things. More. He even looked like Al Capone. Yeah. Jeez. And then... Well, he was so so good in that role. I mean, he just was so abusive to people, and and especially the Claire Trevor character, Gay Don. Well, yeah, he he was a bully at heart, big time. Another, Another really... I mean the the cast is amazing. Lionel Barrymore. Uh, he made about nine thousand movies. It seemed like in nineteen thirty one, he won an Academy Award for Best Actor. And then in It's a Wonderful Life, which is a movie that we've talked about reviewing, he plays the evil Mr. Potter, the bad guy. And uh, he made like. 15 different movies, either Dr. Kildare and Mr. Gle- uh, Dr. Gillespie, some with Kildare, some on his own. And he's the uh, great uncle of Drew, Drew Barrymore. Oh, interesting. He, they have a big, uh, the Barrymore family was has been in the acting profession for over centuries, several couple centuries. Amazing. What a, and and he was actually very crippled from arthritis, so he was not pretending to be uh, having difficulty because he was actually experiencing that. Yeah. So that scene where they where he tries to get up. Oh to, yes. To, to take on Johnny Rocco. That again, another scene that looked really real. Like you could tell he actually was in pain trying to do that. Right, and then one last. One last actor, I promise, this will be the last. <laughs> I got into the cast. You were getting into Batman. I was getting into the cast. Jay Silverheels. Uh, Mr. Silverheels plays uh, one of the Osceola brothers, John Osceola, uh, one of the Native Americans that was wanted by the sheriff. He ended up being uh, the sidekick to the Lone Ranger. I thought so. In Man, you played Tonto, right? He played Tonto in both radio and yeah. television shows, maybe even some of the movies. Yeah, yeah he had I, a long I, I, career. I, he looked familiar. So this movie, this movie was made. Well, I got, I got, I, I, oh, I wanted yeah, no, to talk okay. a little bit about one, one other car- uh, actor, Edward 
uh, well, Harry Lewis plays Edward Toots bass. <laughs> I love yes. And apparently he, well, this is what the trivia on IMDb says, but apparently he wasn't a great actor. But uh, Frank uh, John Houston actually really worked with him and kind of browbeat him <laughs> a little bit wow. uh, on set and, and you know getting getting him to to act the way that he he wanted him to and and actually Harry Lewis said that he really appreciated that it was one of the few he was the only director that ever really took the time to work with him uh, but he went on to f- uh, found the Hamburger Hamlet a chain of restaurants in California <laughs> is that right oh my god and gosh. sold sold that for you know millions of dollars and so was really successful as a restaurateur uh, later in in life sometimes it's the half the fun is looking up the background on all these actors oh for sure and what a what a group of names like Rocco Curly Hoff Toots Bass Angel I mean Gaydon Ziggy Remember Ziggy? <laughs> Ziggy, yeah, Ziggy. Gosh, I tell you. Well, and I think we've talked about Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall before. Yeah, we have. I sort of, yeah. I sort of skipped over them because we have done that, and some of these other people had the, such. The only thing I careers. wanted to mention ab- about those two was that uh, the age difference was super noticeable in this movie for some reason. Yeah. And I guess there was another film that they were planning to to make together, but Humphrey Bogart passed away before they had a chance to to film that so oh you're right i remember watching a uh, short video clip on they were being uh they were doing the costume uh they were getting ready for doing the costume setups but then he got so sick they had to cancel the film yeah wasn't that an amazing scene where she kind of thinks he's a coward disappears completely into the shadow. Houston films just her face and it moves from partly in the shadow all the way into the shadow to indicate that she just doesn't think that Bogart's character is is uh, strong enough to hold up against all these bad guys. I found yeah. that to be an amazing scene and one that it just it's just like 8 seconds on the screen or maybe 15 at the most. That's that's like a great example of a, a really good director and just using a visual cue like that to, to indicate what the character's thinking. I, I love that. Well, we let's see. Warner Brothers uh, d- uh, made this and distributed it, and it was extremely financially successful. Made a lot of money. 
Well, and also <laughs> because they Warner Brothers said to John Huston after Treasure of the Sierra Madre that he he couldn't make any more movies on location because they spent so much money on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just on Humphrey Bogart's hair. Remember that? <laughs> and all the, Remember? Yeah, oh. and probably all the food and beverages that oh, they had to spend. Yeah. But this entire film pretty much was made on the, the sets, the backlots of, of the Warner Brothers Studios. And uh, I re- again, I think that uh, that lends to the sort of stage quality feel that it has. Yeah, it has kind of a closed-in feeling. And when I took a tour of Warner Brothers, I remember seeing a part of where they filmed it. The thing that was really well done is when they showed the uh, the boat. They were going to uh, Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart were going to tie up the boat for the uh, getting through the storm, and that was also on the lot. Yeah, how the, yeah like, that, that was cool. I don't. That was well done. Because they had a they had a miniature yacht in the background. Yes, at, at the size and distance that would make you think that it was a really big yacht, uh, but but really it was just a, a trick of perspective. Uh, but yeah, that was cool. Uh, it, I like the way that that worked. I mean, I think it they made the the most of it. Today, that would all be done with blue screens. And you'd never know. Yeah, you'd yeah. think that they were on location, yeah. So the story is uh, is a, a really good one. I mean, Humphrey Bogart's character, whose name I just forgot. Frank McCloud. Frank McCloud has come back to the Florida Keys. He wants to present a medal and, and meet the uh, father and wife of the man that was killed in Italy during World War II. And, and it was James Temple's son, right? And that's yes. Played, J- James Temple's played by Lionel Barrymore, and his daughter is Nora Temple, played by Lauren Bacall. So, oh no, daughter, or was it uh, uh, daughter-in-law? I th- daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law. Yeah. yeah. And she was married to the guy that died in Italy. Yes. Yeah. And Bogart walks right into the middle of all these gangsters hanging out at this kind of. Semi, not run down, but sort of old resort in in the in, in the Florida Keys. And right away, you know something's wrong because they're all the, all these people are sort of like bad guys. You could tell they're they're angry and they got hidden pasts. Well, and they don't look like they're there for a vacation, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> no, they they're all they're all wearing these suits and and. Uh, they're just kind of hanging out, and they don't—they don't really say what they're doing there. They—they they say that they're going fishing, but you, you could tell that they're—they're they're not. They were typecast as as the mobsters, all of them packing guns. <laughs> yeah. So I—I I particularly liked the how high uh, they wore their pants. Oh, especially especially uh, who, oh, Thomas Gomez. Yeah, he was—he was really hot. He uh, had a high belt line, <laughs> but <laughs> right away, then the action starts. And uh, you want to pick it up from there? I don't know uh, how much. He wa- basically the way that I remember it is he walked into the hotel, and he immediately kind of knows that something's not right here, but he probably doesn't know exactly what, because he wants to go talk to James Temple, and they're like, "Well, he's not here. Who are you? What are you doing here?" And Eventually, they they say, "Oh well, he's he's out back, so yeah, go go talk to him." And so they they go back and they kind of have this conversation about uh, James Temple's son, and he presents these medals. And I, I really like that speech that he gives about his son and and what happened. And Dad's in here, Major. Sit down, Major. Boy's over, Mr. Temple. I'm not a major anymore. Oh, I know the men that win it don't like talking about the war, and I don't like imposing on you. But this letter here from the War Department is the only facts we have, and, well, uh, it leaves us in the dark about a few things. Well, I'll tell you everything I know, Mr. Temple. Will you, Frank? Will you? I'll be most grateful. Where shall I start? Anywhere. Well, he was a good soldier, Mr. Temple, from start to finish. You'd have been proud of him, like every man in his regiment was. Were they, Frank? And with good reason. It wasn't just a matter of doing his duty. He, he was always looking for a way to do more and, and finding it. 
George was a born hero, Mr. Temple. Couldn't imagine his death, only dishonor. It's a wonder he lasted till casino. And you believe like George believed. Maybe dying isn't very important. Once outside San Pietro, George and a couple of others established a forward observation post. They got a direct hit and the others were killed. They left it up to George. Three days and three nights, he stayed awake, directing our fire. Most of that time, I was on the other end of the line. To keep himself awake, he talked into the phone. Talked and talked. Most of his talk was about you two. You'd be surprised how much I know about you both. For instance, inside your wedding ring, Nora, there's an inscription. Evermore. That's right. And you, Mr. Temple, you remember telling George what this hollow is above the upper lip? Before he was born, you said, he knew all the secrets of life and death. And then at the moment of his birth, an angel came and put his finger right here and sealed his lips. I remember that. Yep. He couldn't have been more than seven years old when I told him that fairy story. What's it like where he's buried? Just crosses on a slope. High up there's what's left of a church. You can see a river from where George is. Yeah. I'd like to pay a visit to that place. Yeah, I would. Nora, maybe we'll do just that. Go to Italy and see where George is buried. It belongs to us, don't it? That plot of ground. I'm very grateful to you, Frank. Thank you. We kind of come to find out later that he's really underplaying it. Like, he yes. he actually was a hero as well. And uh, Nora Temple had read the letters that, that her husband had sent back and kind of those letters described what Frank McCloud had done in the war. So we, we, we know that he's he's brave and that he's he, he can be a hero. But at the same time, he's really disheartened and he seems kind of like just done with the world and... and it, it does a good job of of describing what it must have been like to come back to come back from the war and and not know what your life was about and how you're going to pull your life back together because he says that he doesn't have any plans yeah he was in the newspaper business or something like that and he didn't want to do that anymore yeah uh, and then we get into the another plot where the sheriff well the Osceola brothers. The two of them right. are being cert- are being sought by the sheriff, and they're they're Native American <laughs> brothers that live uh, around there, and they had escaped from jail, and they come to the hotel because James Temple's always been friends with them and, and helped them, and the whole family and, comes. Well, and there's a whole yeah, there's a whole group, there's a whole family, and I think what they're planning to do is to escape. Uh, Maybe to Cuba, I'm not sure, but they they, they want to get help, like getting away from the police. But then James Temple actually talks them into just surrendering. Yeah. And they also, and this is kind of. Though I was going to oh, say go the fam the family also was trying to get out of uh, out of the path of the hurricane because right. Mr. Temple would take them into the hotel. Right, right. So you know, as 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 these things are unfolding, the the. You can hear in the background the wind is starting to blow harder, and and you hear like shutters knocking in the background, and and the the storm is rolling in, and then and then things start to unravel because I I believe that the sheriff is kind of poking around, and then Johnny Rocco has to kill him. Oh, a, a dep- he kills the deputy sheriff. The deputy, yeah. the deputy sheriff. That's right. And uh, but and but before that happened, remember when the, uh, the all the Seminoles showed up in the little boats, and the mm-hmm. and the great oh uh, yes uh-huh. uh, the woman got off who was a hundred nine years old. Well, yeah. another she, scene that was just perfect for the film. It was like maybe three minutes, and they're talking to her, and she looks like she's seen everything that's ever happened in the entire history of the world, and wants a smoke. Yeah, and that woman was born like three years after the end of the Civil War. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, Felipa Gomez. Oh my uh, word! And 
and she was in another movie, um, The Cowboy and the Indians, in 1949. So she was in a couple films. Oh, my God. But, man, she, she looked like she was 109 years old. She did. But it's another example of how well he crafted the film mm-hmm. as director. Anyway, I kind of I kind of got us off so, track. So without without getting into all the little details, like all these people are like converging on this hotel at the same time that the hurricane is bearing down on them, and the gangsters kind of have to drop the pretense uh, once it's discovered that the deputy sheriff has been killed, and and also Frank Mulcahy kind of recognizes Johnny Rocco, I think probably from his newspaper days, um, and has this great speech about what Johnny Rocco had done and and he, he gives us it was kind of a facetious tone in his voice about how the world needs these gangsters and it's really you know yeah. we don't need to get rid of them like they they're the, they're the ones who are going to take over but I think he's kind of poking fun at Johnny Rocco at the same time that he's doing that I thought that I thought that was the case as well yeah and Rocco has what you might call a uh, trigger finger temper it doesn't take much to get him set off. No, and there's that there's that uh, scene where um, Johnny Rocco gives Frank McCloud a gun and says, "Well, I come know. on, here you you've got a gun and I've got a gun." It turns out that it's a good thing Frank McCloud didn't try to actually shoot Johnny Rocco because the gun that he gave him was wasn't even loaded. I know, and um, then the deputy sheriff uh, Sawyer, played by John Rodney, grabs the gun, and uh, then for that he gets shot. Yeah, killed. that's what that's the that's the setup for how he how he gets killed. And they yeah, just take so. his body out and dump it in the in the water. Rocco is truly an evil person. The whole time this is going, the whole time this is going on, Claire Trevor is like having a, a meltdown because she's going through withdrawals from not being able to drink because Johnny Rocco won't give her any alcohol. And you know the storm's kind of really coming on, and and they're kind of sitting around, and Johnny Rocco's getting super nervous about this storm, and and uh, James Temple tells him a story about a storm that came in about ten ten years earlier, and how it killed like hundreds of people and swept over the islands, and it, it's like ratcheting up the tension and anxiety for for Johnny Rocco, and then Johnny Rocco says, "Here, you." Uh, to Claire Trevor's character, says, "Why don't you just sing? Why don't you sing? You know, we got nothing else to do." And that was that great scene where she she sings there in front of everybody. She's it was really uncomfortable to watch. She sings moaning low, a cappella. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, that scene was amazing, overwhelming because she's. I didn't realize that she had done it totally uh, unrehearsed. Well, and that was a really important scene, not only for for that to kind of really reveal fully like how evil Johnny Rocco was because he promised her a drink if she sang but then after she was done he's like no you, you sang terribly I'm not you don't you don't get a drink but then Frank McLeod comes over and pours a drink for her and gives it to her anyway and kind of stands up to Johnny Rocco and that's when Nora Temple realizes that oh actually he is he is brave he is going to stand up to to these guys this movie is really more just about the characters, right? Like the the and even the storm is is a character, and, and the house is a character, and the boat is a character, and all these people are you know all these different actors playing different characters, and it's it's really interesting to watch it unfold and see how how Frank McCloud is sort of struggling with what he wants to do, and Johnny Rocco is sort of like losing it and by the end. He's just you know reduced to kind of a sniveling like yes ca- coward <laughs> by the end of the movie and how how gay how gay don really uh, kind of i think decides to turn her life around during all of this and so yeah it's it's a great film from that perspective it's it's interesting to watch uh, uh edward g robinson's character kind of hiding in the lower part of the boat near the end of the movie before he's shot <coughs> oh, another spoiler alert right so, <clears throat> plus it's got it's got uh, the the subplots of the Seminole Indians, the Osceola brothers, the murder of the deputy sheriff, a love story, a blossoming love story between Bogart and McCall. It went on and on. Well, and, and 
and don't you think what happened to the Osceola brothers was just so tragic? Like that was that was hard to watch too. That oh, was terrible. I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to mention Lionel Barrymore's statement about no. I forget exactly the quote, but state police picked up that fellow Ziggy and his men crossing into Georgia. You'll have to go up and identify him, Miss. Mr. Temple, I'm mighty grateful to you for saving my life and all, but those two boys, the Osceolas, I'd rather been killed than have innocent blood on my hands. Oh, I'm the one to blame. If they hadn't trusted me, they wouldn't have turned up here, and they'd still be alive. It seems we can't do anything but harm to those people even when we go to help them. No, Mr. Temple, it wasn't you. It wasn't the law or anybody. It was only Johnny Rocco. Nobody in the whole world is safe as long as he's alive. We just can't seem to do anything correctly when it comes to the uh, to the Native Americans. I thought that's a very telling. I mean, there's definitely a subtext here yeah. about the treatment of, of the Native Americans, for sure. And the fact that they had to stand outside the the door of the hotel the entire time the storm was going on and they had a little baby that they were holding and Johnny Rocco knew that they were out there but wouldn't let them in and and uh, James Temple didn't even know that they were out there until afterwards and was just so devastated by the fact that that happened. So how many different plots did we just go through? About 10? <laughs> There's a lot going on in this film. It was a great selection because... Uh, of all the, of all the the writing the screenplay and I can just see John Huston sitting writing all these characters and, oh, and yeah. loving what, every moment of it. What a great Woo. what a great story and it's the kind of film that I really actually look forward to watching when I can do it when I'm totally uninterrupted, right? Like I, I'll just put the movie on, I got some popcorn, I'll close all the shades so it's nice and dark and then I'll just kind of get into it and it it does sort of transport you to another place and and the way that it builds up slowly the tension and keeps ratcheting it up ratcheting it up uh each each event that unfolds is sort of <clears throat> revealing another aspect of the characters it's just it's really a great film that's part of the beauty of these films from the 40s and, and early 50s and if, when we when we get to watching the postman always rings twice from 1946 that mm-hmm. same thing will happen it just pulls you in further and further into the web of of uh, issues that are going on in that film. And, yeah. and and it doesn't have the beauty of the special effects and all of the technical. Oh, I hear the dogs. Oh, Th- they're weighing in on their rating for the film. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's garbage day, so. Oh, they're hearing that. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're <laughs> funny. You sh- you sent me the pictures of before and after when they went to the uh, PetSmart. Oh, yeah, I hardly recognize them. They look totally different. They're much happier now that it's uh, short hair it's, and not the long hair. Especially with the hot weather. Well, anyway, yeah. what was your rating on the film Key Largo? Yeah, I kind of vacillate between a nine and a ten. Um, I'm I'm at between an eight and a nine, so <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to go with a nine. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, I, I really really like it. It's a great great film. Highly recommend watching it. It's just that, um, gosh, why would I? Why wouldn't I give it a ten? What? So you, what do you think it is? I I would give it a nine. I always benchmark against Double Indemnity. Mm-hmm. And uh, Singing in the Rain, which I believe we gave tens to. I know they're quite different movies, but uh, I'd go with a nine. If you asked me why not a ten, I, I'd be hard-pressed to give you an answer because of what the plots are and the stories and the acting and all. Uh, yeah, I guess there's just something that holds me back from saying ten, and I think it is that it's... it's, it's the whole thing is just kind of contrived in a way that is is really fun to watch and really does a good job of revealing the different characters but at the same time there's a little bit of like really really kind of like 
and that and that that too kind of an aspect to yeah. it where there's so many things that are that are kind of all coming together at the at, at this one place at this one time that I, <clears throat> I think I think about when um, I think of this movie I think well it's a great movie it's just a little bit it's just a little bit too set up for me to, yeah. to go to a 10. I guess that's probably why I don't say a 10. I think part of that uh, contribute. I think what contributes to that is also the fact that it's all done on the set. Mm-hmm. So it's a little confined. Imagine what that would be like if they had filmed it in, you know, out in, in on location. Of course, it'd be hard to replicate a storm, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, they, yeah. but anyway, I, I th- it would be it would be a, it would be a different movie if it was filmed on location. I think, and and also, I wonder sometimes what a remake of this movie would be like. Like how yes. what would they do differently? You know, and how would it turn out? Like with uh, the postman always rings twice. There was a uh, remake of it, and when you see the two back to back, you can really see the difference between the original. So I so the thing that the, I don't know why, but. I, I thought about Die Hard when I was watching this movie, um, and I know that that's a totally different kind of a film. But the main character kind of like being a little bit down and out, and sort of like trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life, and then getting being in this building at the same time as like this thing is going down with these like criminals, and then sort of deciding to like not take it anymore, and 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 take matters into his own hands it's like that thread is is the same I it think, is between the two movies it is it's yeah. a good comparison so we're i think we're both at a nine yeah i would land on a nine so that that's key largo and i think for the next time we selected get my notes here lily's lily's in the field lily's okay. of the field with Sidney poitier from 1963 an excellent movie you'll, you'll enjoy it a lot and Lilies of the field. Lilies yeah. of the okay. field. Yeah, and then from there we've come up with many others, but they shall remain nameless until we <laughs> <laughs> change our mind again. So anyway, yeah. uh, it's always fun doing these. <laughs> on, a, on a slightly different note, I I enjoy immensely the comments that we receive from listeners. I w- oh, the, for sure. the one that you sent me, where the, uh, the listener is going through all of the podcasts, kind of chronologically that takes a brave soul to go through 104 of those (laughs) (laughs) although if i were doing that i might skip uh what was that one the orgies of the dead orgy of the dead yeah maybe i highly recommend skipping that one yeah right um yeah i think it's like it's like binge watching on netflix except it's binge listening on podcasts (laughs) all right all right well i guess that concludes our podcast (laughs) Well, uh, uh, yeah, that was uh, Key Largo, and coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt Johnson. And uh, from Los Angeles, Bob Johnson, wishing you all happy movie watching. Hotel Largo.
Haley probably didn't have a chance to rate this uh, Key Largo movie. She said she li- she she enjoyed the characters, uh, but she said it wasn't as much fun to watch as uh, the other two that we reviewed. So, <laughs> <laughs> Invaders from Mars. Yeah. How could how could you top that? Oh, she All she right. did say something funny though. There was a a movie that they watched um, called The Host. I think is what it was called. And it was it was written by the woman who did the um, the vampire interview not interview with the vampire the um, sparkly vampires what are they called um, oh, Stephanie I... Meyer okay Stephanie Meyer did the Twilight the Twilight Saga Twilight okay oh okay so let I, me I haven't seen that let me tell you the story again so Haley and her boyfriend were watching the host which is a uh, based on a novel by Stephanie Meyer who did the Twilight books and and then movies. And it's sort of like an alien invasion movie where they're taking over people's bodies. And she said it was so boring that she actually liked Invaders from Mars more than this movie because it was more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) She'll have to watch the three or four versions of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, I'll have to send her a couple links to those, yeah. That's the same kind of a story. (laughs) But I, I I loved that she liked this old... B movie more than like this, you know, uh, million dollar movie that came out in 2013 that was kind of a bomb. But yeah, (laughs) I think it's interesting too to to be able to go back and look at these old movies and and compare them to the movies of today. Oh, totally! And people, you see so many similarities and and like (laughs) you do, and and it draws a lot of younger people into the uh, enjoyment of the older movie, the classic movies, which helps our audience. (laughs) grow (laughs) we we need to reach the youth right 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 yeah that's Uh, i'm sure that's i'm sure that's happening 